Okay, so this is episode two of Easy Vegan Eats. Um, this episode's going to be all about plastic and where it came from, how we use it, how it became so popular, and, and what it's actually doing to our environment. Uh, so what is plastic? Uh, what we know is plastic is essentially a synthetic polymer that, for sake of time, was invented in 1907. Plastic is a synthetic polymer, man-made. A polymer is a long chain of similar molecules, and as there are chains of molecules found in nature, synthetic polymer is essentially just a man-made chain that's typically longer than ones found in nature. Um, and the ones that humans create are typically longer than ones found in nature. The, and and the ones we use, at least to begin with, were made from petroleum and other crude oils. So it's the beginning of kind of our environmental spiel about it. Um, so the way that they're organized to create new materials, uh, they create substances that are strong, lightweight, and flexible. That's where the plasticity comes from. Uh, plastic was already a word meaning affiliated with plasticity. So our, our term for plastic is derived from that with it being lightweight and flexible. The word plastic itself is dated back to the 17th century, uh, meaning a solid substance that can be molded. So this new material that was invented uh, just adopted that name for you know fitting the definition essentially the early synthetic plastics were early on seen as beneficial to the environment because these synthetic materials cut down on animals hunted uh, for their shells and the horns and skin and and wood products so you know cutting down on deforestation due to these synthetic materials that were being created so in certain environments where they didn't have certain animals or a certain type of tree or stone that would make a different material that they needed, you know, if they needed bowls or, or cups, you know, whatever plastic was used for to begin with, if that specific location didn't have those materials, they'd have to import materials. And so this was seen as environmentally friendlier than, than hunting and deforestation. So that was in 1907 when it kind of got its kickoff and plastics made a huge jump in World War II. There was rationing all across the US and a lot of materials were being diverted to war efforts across the globe. And so stateside, uh, plastics were being utilized a lot more because it was cheaper and a cheaper alternative uh, for for the citizens that stayed here, and in nineteen in the nineteen sixties, uh, plastic waste was becoming a national concern, as there mounting environmental disasters due to pollution, and and the nation consensus was that that we needed to keep an eye on and how we we're treating our environment. So there was a lot of oil spills and fires that kind of decimated certain regions of the U.S. 
and and plastics just kind of got lumped into that finding where where our trash is going where how garbage is being handled and, and how we were taking care of our environment or lack thereof not taking care of our environment at all so that was in the 1960s plastic plastic invented in 1907 made a huge jump in the 40s in 1960s it was kind of taking a second look at it and then now here in 2020 I think it's still unknown if plastics ever truly are biodegradable or not. Uh, it hasn't been around terribly long. So we do know that they break down incredibly slowly. Uh, but the way they break down is into smaller and smaller pieces of itself, just creating fractals of, of the material that it, that it was created for. So these fractals can become small enough to where they're not visible to the naked eye anymore. And, and those are, are known as microplastics. And I think most microplastics are measured between one and five millimeters large. And, you know, some of these can be identified obviously being that, that big, but they, they will degrade smaller due to sun exposure. So when it comes to marine life, these small microplastics can resemble food for a lot of the small, small marine life. And, and it can have detrimental health effects to the ecosystems. So you get some small little feeder fish that think these little bits of plastic are, are food and with the amount of plastic that's in the ocean, if their diet primarily consists of plastic, these species are going to die out, uh, creating a chain reaction. Then the, the fish that eat them going to die out, fish that eat them going to die out. Uh, a huge chain reaction due to these microplastics just polluting the ocean. So that is a, a very quick and broad overview of what could happen if if marine life were to consume just about only plastic uh, but we are already starting to see effects of this and and plastic has only really been around for about 110 years so the greatest result of of all this plastic manufacturing uh, was noticed about 30 years ago and that's what we know of today as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Uh, it's a large concentration of plastic that's in between North America and Asia and it's estimated at 1.6 million square kilometers and weighing approximately 80,000 tons. So these numbers are not able to be completely validated because this mass drifts with the ocean current. It is kind of in a, a vector of the ocean that it's in a sort of whirlpool. Um, but there's a lot of microscopic materials in it. Uh, there's stuff at the surface, there's stuff that, that drifts down and sinks to the bottom of the ocean and it's all moving. So, so there's not a hard number that you can, you can just weigh this stuff at. This is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is also known as 
uh, Garbage Island or Plastic Island, something like that. Uh, that's how I first heard about it. Um, and it's not true in, in that it's not an island. You can't go stand on it. It's uh, just a large concentration of, of plastics. Uh, so there's ocean currents that kind of just put it into this section of the Pacific um, where it just kind of spins around catching things in its way. Um, so, you know, if we were able to, to weigh this centralization of garbage, I'd also kind of assume that we'd be able to excavate it from the ocean uh, if we had the means to, to weigh it. So as far as the way we did get our measurements, um, I think about 10 years ago, there was a, a fleet of 30 boats that went across different sections of the, the Pacific garbage patch and they grabbed samples of the waste. And then those were um, filtered and parceled out. And then I think they were put into freezers on the boats and then sent to labs for for uh, research and seeing what kind of plastics were in there, how they were degrading and, and you know, what, what was at the top, what was at the bottom, what was in the center, what was out, you know, towards the, towards the, the outside of this garbage patch. And just due to the, the volume, you know, they were able to find out that towards the middle, it, it was more dense with plastic and towards the outside, it, it was significantly less dense. So. So it does have, you know, the way our, our galaxy is shaped, how, you know, real dense amount of stars in the middle and then it just kind of frays out uh, kind of towards where we are, where it's a lot thinner. And it's that same sort of whirlpool effect where it's way more dense in the middle. It is, uh, we were able to get a decent number due to the samples from these 30 boats. The the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, estimated at 1.6 million square kilometers, is over 600,000 square miles. So that area is about the, twice the size of Texas, and and it's still a little bit more than that. So um, with states I'm familiar with take the square miles of some different states to get a more accurate representation of that size. It would be the size of Texas, California, Colorado, and Oregon combined is what's floating out there in our ocean just in garbage. And the weight of this is 80,000 tons. So I'm trying to trying to find some figures to compare eighty thousand tons to is a little ridiculous because it's so incredibly heavy. It's kind of hard for us to put into perspective. Um, but just for some comparisons, it's eighty thousand tons is one quarter of the weight of the Empire State Building. It's six times the weight of the Brooklyn Bridge. It's eight times the weight of the Eiffel Tower. Uh, it's 500 houses. <laughs> a funny comparison I saw is 30,000 times the tongue of a blue whale, which is a very odd, just odd, uh, odd comparison. Um, 
the the largest parking lot in the world, um, at least as of 2005, I didn't see any updated references, so so I don't think it's been beat yet, but as of 2005, the largest parking lot in the world is in West Edmonton Mall, and it has 20,000 parking spaces. So if you filled up those 20,000 parking spaces and then stacked a layer of cars on top of those cars, you'd still have enough left over to fill up the Epcot parking lot at Disney World in Florida is the weight all those cars combined would be the, the weight of this estimated uh, garbage patch. So how did this become so bad? How did it, how did it start? Um, so there, the main consensus I see is that there's uh, ghost nets that, that trap in a ton of debris. And these ghost nets are, are fishing nets that were lost at sea while fishing. Um, and I don't think it was being monitored. So, you know, a bunch of boats go out, go fishing, they lose a net or, you know, they catch something they weren't supposed to catch instead of, you know, detangling or, or releasing whatever was caught, dropping nets. And, and then those nets just float around in the ocean. Um, so these nets over time just got sucked into different ocean currents. Um, and then again, there's that whirlpool effect in, in the Pacific region that as these nets just floated around, they weren't degrading. They would just catch more and more debris, um, essentially just compounding on each other, creating this garbage patch. So, um, there is general garbage in in the oceans. There's a bunch of uh, spilled debris, uh, boat crashes, plane crashes, random small or not small events, but less common events like that. There are a lot of oil spills that uh, may destroy certain uh, structures that we have set out in the ocean. Um, I don't think that's a huge portion of this, but it does add to it. Um, our consumer waste that when people litter and it gets dragged out into the ocean, that stuff drifts out and then gets caught in these nets or get eaten by a fish. And then, you know, those fish may get caught in nets. There, there's a lot of uh, different ways garbage can get into the ocean, but it's mostly these nets creating a structure in a part of the ocean where all this stuff can gather and you know it's not really being filtered it's not that there's no trash anywhere else in the ocean it's just that a lot of it um, when it does kind of start to solidify with itself it will end up in a, a section of our Pacific where where we where we do have the garbage patch and it's been you know over 50 years since U.S. the U.S. has really taken notice to it. Uh, not that we've really done anything since, but um, we were able to monitor it now and and research what kind of trash is being in there, uh, whether it be soda bottles or crates or nets, uh, 
fishing equipment or you know just boxes uh, we're able to to kind of research in, in what a lot of those things are now that are in this garbage patch so Boyan Slat, I believe how you pronounce his name he's a very young entrepreneur from the Netherlands um, he uh, he's leading the way right now to clean up the oceans um, from this waste uh, he started a company called The Ocean Cleanup, which has pretty much been spearheading the whole movement, um, trying to hold large companies responsible for further ocean waste and and devising new ways to uh, to take care of it or you know to help clean up or to fund cleanup programs um, for our oceans. And. There have been some issues so far. So Slat, Slat's company, the Ocean Cleanup, uh, was doing some trial runs. He he was able to get funding for some boats to to help gather some of the the waste to for research, so they they can sample everything. Um, and there there were some issues with some of the barges so they were solar powered but they at some point i think they overflowed and spilled the plastic back into the ocean uh which didn't help really anything i think that was sort of uh not a waste of money but you know first error in the trial and errors for this company uh, i do believe they've fixed it now um, they have boats with a long net behind it that gathers plastic in and, and they can rein it in which there's a long pole that goes from the back of the boat I think in a, a sort of u-shape that has a net underneath it to to gather all this waste and that pole is actually made out of plastic which is quite ironic in my research looking at it um, but but there are some plastics that are made with natural resources and some that were made with with oil, petroleum, stuff like that. Um, so the production weighs heavily on our environment, and it has compounding effects on our society and planet as a whole. And there's a, a whole chain reaction I don't really want to go through um, of just oil wars and ocean pollution and mass consumption, the way our society has kind of been built. Um, but these synthetic materials that are made from oil does have a compounding effect if you just chase oil wars all the way down to end product um, and then you know destroying wildlife habitats. Um, so as of Recently, I've heard um, a lot of common rhetoric that plastic takes about a hundred years to degrade, and and I don't quite believe that, considering plastic was only invented about a hundred and fifteen years ago, um, and it wasn't mass produced until about eighty years ago. So, with that time frame, it's not likely we know how long it actually takes to degrade, or if it does at all. Uh, like I said earlier, these plastics don't degrade in the way um, natural fibers and natural materials do. 
they just get smaller and smaller and smaller. They don't actually disintegrate um, as far as we know. So, so this hundred year span, we don't know if it does. We know it gets smaller and smaller and it might come to a point where you know it's too small for us to see but it's still there that those molecules aren't disbanding and and absorbing back into nutrients for our soils or for our, our water or wildlife with plastic let's assume that it it never does degrade then i ideal way to dispose of, of our used plastics would be to recycle, or, or at least that's what we've been taught. And, and up until the last couple years, uh, at least the U.S. has been sending our recycling materials to China. And, and they, would, they would process, they would recycle our, our, our materials that we sent to them. But China itself was cutting down on its own pollution issues and they stopped importing recyclable material from other countries. So this leads to a lot of the recycling we clean and sort for processing. Um, when you you know clean a container, throw it in your recycling bin, and you know give it to your city, city instead of giving it to China, what like we have been doing, uh, our cities are now just sending them to landfills along with the rest of the garbage. And it just doesn't seem to be profitable for, for our cities and counties, states to, to be recycling material or at least exporting this large sum of you know, paper and plastics outside of our country. So, so we just throw it in a, a garbage heap. Um, and it's just because it's not profitable uh, should be a concern. And, you know, our government subsidizes plenty of companies, uh, especially in the energy field, which our subsidy program, our government subsidy programs for energy is for both renewable and non-renewable sources. So if we can't recycle, it's, there should be uh, some research done to how uh, getting our uh, recycling into uh, renewable energy, um, creating energy out of plastics would be a, a great start. I don't know if that's possible. It hasn't been done, but if our money is, uh, our government money is going towards renewable energy sources and plastic is being a, a huge detriment to our our wildlife in the oceans, um, then, then I think that should be a, a focus for the energy sector if our government's paying for it anyway. Um, but since we can't control that, we should learn how to cut down on plastic and, and reuse plastics when, when possible. And there's a, that motto, that saying of reduce, reuse, recycle. Recycling really should be the last option. Uh, reducing use, so if we can just cut out plastic, wonderful. Uh, if we can't, if we do need to buy plastics, then to reuse, also uh, you know a great way to to cut down on waste and then and then recycle as a last resort. Um, 
but just you know recycling like i said isn't really viable when our counties aren't taking care of our recyclable materials the way we believe them to so we should as a as a whole just kind of make a conscious effort to use less plastic um, so i know with grocery stores at least before this pandemic had a, a ban in california that you you bring your own your own reusable bags um, you can have canvas tote bags uh, just to stay completely away from the plastic um, not not putting vegetables in in those clear little bags uh, you can just wash your vegetables when you get home um, cut down on, on that sort of waste um, buying glass products when you can instead of plastic uh, and reusing the glass but I know, I mean, just looking around here, the tripod, parts of my camera, that tripod, monitors, my keyboard, my phone, uh, there's all kinds of things, my light, packaging, there's all kinds of things here that, that have plastic in it, and there's not really a, a true way to get around all that, at least for now. Um, my glasses, the TV remotes, figure figurines, uh, mounts, my cooler. There's endless plastic around, which which is real disheartening. Real disheartening. Um, so not being a consumer would generally be the only way to get rid of that. Uh, living on a a farm or a, a commune making your own food, not buying anything, uh, making your own clothes. Um, it seems like the only way, at least kind of being a, a cynic about it, uh, living in the city and taking advantage of, of the benefits our society has come across though. I think it's gonna be uh, near impossible to become plastic free. As of the, the last couple months and trying to reevaluate my my stance on veganism and environmentalism, where I where I stand and, and what moves I want to make, I've I have tried to make a conscious effort to cut down my plastic waste, uh, my plastic consumption, uh, but I've I've gone through uh, plenty of sets of Tupperware uh, beforehand, where you know I'd buy a set of Tupperware for to carry my, my lunch to work and it would last a year or two and it would start to crack or you know if it was a harder plastic you know maybe it cracks you can't put pasta in there because the sauce would leak through you can't put soups in there at all it just leak through um, I had some softer plastics where the lid just didn't fit quite right and so just during transport just going to work and back uh, the lid might come off and then the food spills um, so I do still use some of my broken my broken Tupperware just for for larger things. If I make a, like a lentil lentils with a stir fry, something that's not too juicy and, and kind of solid that won't won't fit through the cracks, then uh, then I'll still use them. Uh, but they are they are kind of on their way out. They do eventually get so bad where you know there's you know chunks missing, which is not going to keep my food safe or fresh. 
at least with the Tupperware, I, I would like to reuse them when they when they got cracked like that. Um, at least not for a for food storage, but you know I could glue it back together and then just use it as a general storage if I needed like cables or something. But but it generally just turns to waste anyway. I don't have a lot of room, uh, and I don't have a lot of things to to be stored. Everything pretty much has its place. Um, if I had every, you know, plastic Tupperware or or used, you know, sauce bottle that I that I bought, uh, I, my room would just be filled with a bunch of bottles and Tupperwares of trash essentially. Um, so, so I did recently buy some glass Tupperware, but even the glass Tupperware I, I've come to realize has a plastic lid on it, um, which is, you know, better than nothing. It, it should last a bit longer than, than the plastic Tupperware I had, hopefully. Um, but, but it's one step, and, you know, it was before I started researching plastic and actually taking an eye to, to what I'm buying and purchasing. I don't think I could find any Tupperware that is completely plastic free. Um, I am keeping my eye out though. I'm not in need of any right now, so I'm not shopping for it, but but I, every time I, you know, I look for, every time I'm at the grocery store or at a, like a home, home goods store, then, then I'll, I keep my, my eye out just to see what the options are out there. And and I do want these episodes, uh, as I do my research, I do want them to to keep a, a vegan or environmentally focused uh, drive behind them, and and I'll try it and and throw that in as much as I can. But there are plenty of hobbies that I have. Um, so I, I know I think I said it in the in the original introduction episode, but this will cover all my hobbies when it comes to music, cooking, uh, food, uh, just environmental stuff, motorcycles, clothing, traveling. Um, and I will try and keep a, a vegan twist on it and just how day-to-day uh, -day vegan stuff is. Not general, not the general uh, meat is murder and animal uh, animal rights, activism kind of stuff. I'm going to try and stay away from that. Um, but I do want to uh, take an actionable step of of doing this research and seeing if I can reevaluate my veganism and, and if I can make any uh, considerable changes in my day-to-day -day life. So with this, it would be something like cutting out more plastics from my life and I don't know if I can I've been thinking about it for a while and and I don't really buy a whole lot of things um, I, I am a consumerist I, I do have a lot of things but but on a day-to-day week-to-week I'm not really out buying things. I, I wake up, I go to work, I come home, um, I cook my, f my own food five, six days a week, and then on the seventh, sixth or seventh day, um, I either am not eating or, or I eat out. 
I don't generally buy sodas or water or anything, so the one step I was looking to take is, uh, is I have uh, some reasonable straws and reasonable cups in my cupboard, so um, I was going to just keep some of that stuff in my car for when I'm out. I don't have to buy a cup, but but I don't really buy soda or or use straws too much to begin with. At work, I have my coffee mug. At home, I have I have glass glassware. Um, if I drink any beers, it's usually out of glass or aluminum containers, uh, which I do recycle on my own, or at least take to the to the recycling center. Um, so I think I will keep a, a cup and a straw in my car. I don't think it's going to help too much, and especially with this pandemic. Um, it's not that I buy coffee all too often, or buy soda almost at all. Um, if I do buy beer when I'm out, it's usually in a glass mug, but, but with this pandemic, there have been a lot of uh, restrictions as far as what kind of drinks you can get or what kind of containers. I can't take my reusable uh, coffee canister into Starbucks for a refill because they're just going to give you the one from there to, to cut down on contamination. But I don't buy coffee all that often either. Maybe once every couple months I think I'll, I'll go buy coffee. So so I don't think that's really going to help. Um, buying in bulk I think will. Um, I buy a, a bag of uh, 10 to 20 pound bag of rice every couple months um, so I think I can buy that in bulk get a, a container for that at least once the pandemic kind of loosens up its its hold um, same thing with beans I can buy a bulk beans or bulk nuts instead of uh, instead of the prepackaged stuff I think would would kind of help keep that down um, I don't really, I can't think of, of much, I mean, I don't, I don't really buy stuff online anymore, or I try not to at least. Um, I do prefer going into, into stores myself and talking to the people that work there to, to find the, the products I actually want. Um, I do buy uh, frozen vegetables a lot, so uh, the way my grocery shopping goes is I'll, I'll buy a month's worth of food at the beginning of every month and and I'll buy about two weeks worth of fresh vegetables and two weeks worth of frozen vegetables and and those frozen vegetables usually come prepackaged in some plastic kind of like the way the the Gardein frozen meals frozen foods are so so I think I can cut down on that maybe just go to the store twice a month instead of once a month and just completely on fresh vegetables so I think I'll try that next month but it's August 5th right now and I've already I've already bought my groceries for the month so it's not it's not gonna happen this month um, I am making a conscious effort though for the rest of this month to cut down on any plastic I can um, and I I hope I hope I can see a change at least at least once hopefully but that should should be it for this. Um, hopefully, I'll be back next week with something else. Uh, this was a lot of fun to research. Um, 
pretty much spent every day of the last week kind of looking into it and, and trying to write out a, a script. I, don't, I didn't think I, I could follow. Um, so I don't know what next week next week's episode is going to be um, or actually when any of these are coming out because I'm just kind of batching them right now. But uh, thanks for listening. And if you have any uh, comments or criticisms, please let me know. Um, trying to figure out how to read and have a background that's not completely boring. Hopefully I stay in focus. Um, but all right, have a good week.